Hello everyone and welcome back to Reactive Attachments. I'm Taylor. I'll be hosting this podcast today and I'm excited about this podcast specifically because I think that this is going to be, it's a little edgy. It's a little shocking, the things I'm about to tell you. And that is because it is for a very specific audience. Um, There is a desperate need in our community that is a community of people, adults, human beings giving care to, making sacrifices for, and trying to provide um, a life uh, and a home to a, a child with RAD. There is a terrible situation in our community that has been always the case. It has never been any different than it is today. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. And that is the close family members, the loved ones, the caseworkers, the um, church ladies, the neighborhood, um, you know, walker or stroller pushers, the, the dog park couples, everybody seems to love that bias, that, that innocence bias that they have internally when they see a child, a child could be even a 17 year old that has manipulated and triangulated its way into the neighbor's hearts and minds to believe that you are a Um, basically a serial rapist and a killer and a neglectful chosen adoptive parent um, or foster parent or whatever. There are so many times that these families are so isolated. They're so alone, especially the moms. They are constantly being um, judged and ridiculed, criticized, talked about, um, guided, giving advice, given, you know, advice being given to them on how to do a better job by people that are way less qualified. And this podcast is for all of those people. So every day I, I get the question like, how do I get my sister-in-law to understand that this isn't me being jealous of Skylar? I'm not jealous of my five-year-old stepdaughter. I am losing my mind with the manipulation and the triangulation. How do I get my sister-in-law, my, my mother-in-law to see this? How do I get the school guidance counselor to understand that my son doesn't need shoes? He had on shoes when he came to school, perfectly nice tennis shoes. He literally took them off and threw them away to go in your office and cry that I sent him to school with no shoes. I did not. How do I get them to understand that these things are not true? How do I get them to understand that I am hurting? How do I get them to understand that I am afraid? Um, How do I explain to them that this child isn't integrating? I chose this child. I wanted this child. I loved this child before it ever showed up in my house. How do I get them to understand I'm not picking on this kid? I'm not being unfair or irrational. How do I get my husband to understand that he's being manipulated by his biological daughter that is also not my biological daughter, but I chose to adopt? How do I get my blank to see me and you you know if you've listened to the podcast before you probably know that we have a very very private group of um, individuals that we provide support for we don't expose that group in any way but um, it's one of the strictest rules in that group is that you cannot do not add your sister, best friend, uncle, your, your um, godmom, your, your grandma to this group to try to show them and expose them to the masses of, of rad kids that are doing the same things and the behaviors are redundant and like, see, I wasn't crazy. I'm telling you, it's real. You cannot use that group to convince someone who is 
dead set on that innocence bias. They see a child and children are innocent and that is the end. So how do I do it? You don't. You can't. Um, the only way it ever really works is if you, by some strange occurrence of you know events, your sister-in-law is now the caregiver for your adopted son. Uh, she's going to figure it out real fast. But most of the time, families fall apart before anyone ever sees the truth. And the nurturing enemy or the mother, the mother figure, is almost always to blame. So I was thinking, I was recording a different episode and I was thinking, I kind of got off on a tangent and I was thinking, let's make this one for those people. Let me tell them. Let me explain it to them. And if you so wish, you play this podcast for them. And maybe I can, maybe I can convince them with my expertise. Yeah, right. So I'm going to break into that now. I'm going to I'm going to shift this podcast focus from being about my listeners who are out there right now that are just desperate and they are alone and they just are looking for answers and they're doing the research and they're trying to figure this shit out themselves. I am segueing from that into hopefully this maybe this episode can be a resource for you to play in the car on that long trip with you and your sister-in-law back from Vegas, or maybe you can send the link to this podcast to your best friend from your job. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it'll help you, but that is my intention and that is my true intention. So yeah, I'm going to get right into it. So if you're listening to this, you most likely received a copy of the link or maybe you're listening with your family member who is the caregiver to a child that was diagnosed or maybe isn't even yet diagnosed but assumed to have reactive attachment disorder and you think it's a fucking sham. Excuse my French. You think it's a sham. You think that the truth is this child is a baby that was unfortunately neglected, abandoned, abused. Its mother was on drugs. Its mother was mentally ill. Um, Its mother passed away. Um, Its mother is your best friend's husband's ex and she lost custody for some reason. There's a countless, you know, there's a litany of opportunities to um, show up and neglect a child, believe it or not. You feel like this baby just needs to be loved. You feel like she needs to tighten up on her own issues and loosen up on the rules because she's unfairly difficult for this child to deal with. She's she's hard. She's strict. She sees every little thing that this child does and she never lets her get away with anything. I mean, she's just a kid. She's just five. She's just 12. She's just 15. It's normal. That's what boys do, right? That's what girls do. You need to give her a break. Are you jealous of her relationship? with blank is that why you're behaving like this is that why you're so hard on her because you're jealous of her relationship with her dad his dad when she tells you these stories they sound unbelievable they sound like she's exaggerating and you're almost ashamed to listen to them while there's an innocent child who's already had a hard life and every time that kid's with you it's perfect charming beautiful behavior wonderful manners super helpful attentive Uh, accountable, all of those things. 
Right. It's starting to drive a wedge between the two of you. Whether you know it or not, you're starting to see the family in different eye, you know, through different a different lens. You're starting to feel differently towards your sister, best friend, aunt, uncle, whatever, towards their spouse. Maybe you're like feeling like closer to the spouse as though the spouse has it figured out. They're just unfortunately not home all day. And so your, your connection to this family is left with this child and you're just not really impressed with the job she's doing. And you don't even really know she's cut out to do this job. She shows favoritism to her biological children, whatever the case may be. She talks shit about the kid all the time. That's how you perceive it. But I'm here to tell you that you are wrong. And I want you to listen to why. Because I've been doing this for 15 years. And I sacrificed my own life. And my mother sacrificed her life. Her actual, literal life. She's no longer with us. Taking care of the children that were created by women who didn't stick around in a specific family, a good friend of mine's family. And I had her daughter and my mom had her sister who was actually younger. So we have been dealing with and rearing rad for the better part of two decades. Now we're going on 16 years. I need you to understand that I was 17 years old when I started this journey and I didn't, I knew that rad was, um, on the docket, but I didn't know exactly what that meant, even though I could tell you the definition of it. And, um, I had a very close family member who is the, my aunt actually is the state attorney for the department of children and family services in Georgia. And she did her very best to educate me, but there's only so much you can understand a at 17 and B with rad reactive attachment disorder is something that you gloss over. You're told by the services that it's rare. It is a transitional diagnosis that is automatically, um, dead. It's, it's, they dead it at 18 years old. Like, like 18 is a magical number that now will just transition you into borderline personality disorder, which is one of the only personality. It's the only personality disorder that has an excess of empathy, an excess of empathy which is the one thing that you're hoping for with these type of children. If they have empathy intact, almost anything can be overcome. If they don't have empathy intact, that's when things get really crazy. So they automatically transition the diagnosis into the only personality disorder that has a surplus of empathy and empathetic behaviors. And while these behaviors are not healthy, they are not healthy. They are not sociopathic, narcissistic, or, you know, psychopathic in nature. So that's a plus, right? We tend to think in those kind of dichotomies. We think like, oh, well, <clears throat> if it's not this, then it's, it's okay. It's, it's, maybe it's even misdiagnosed. Maybe this child has been diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. And who doesn't love a little attention deficit disorder? It's fine, not a big deal. You're just way too hard on the kid. Let me, let me give you a breakdown on what we're discussing here. 
my I, I typically will give the example of she when I'm referencing the child because that's my experience is a girl. In my experience, it's limited. You know, it's limited to what I saw and dealt with every day. But along the way, my wife and I started a group and we don't expose the name of that group. We don't um, allow there to be a commingling of um, initiatives. So the group is a very large, productive, um, and I say large is relative, you know, I mean, for such a rare disorder, it's a very large group. It is one that is specifically meant to provide care and support for people that are really desperate for it and have been devastated by the, the, the product of, of detachment and attachment disorders. So we have countless, countless members, and I've been dealing with this, this kind of community the support community for many, many moons. So I see it all day long, every day. I have moderators in the group, um, but I belong to other groups that I, that I am just a member of. We have to screen and vet our members very, very closely. I have deep, deep relationships with the members of this group because of their um, their stories. They're so vulnerable and they're so honest and they tell us all the details of their daily life, the hell that they experience. They have lives that, that nobody is vying for. I can tell you that. And sometimes it gets difficult because we see them and we see these struggles every day and we forget that these struggles are ones that they chose now they didn't knowingly choose it but it was all from a place of you know providing care providing opportunity to give children a home a loving you know chance at a new life these are people that are deeply religious or these are people that are deeply Generous. They don't have the finances. They don't have the resources. But they keep on. They take in more and more children. As word gets around that they are those kind of people, you wouldn't believe it, but more children show up. These are people that all they did in their life was try to help. That's what happened there. And now they're divorced. They are facing homelessness. They're facing jail time. They're facing losing their biological children. Their biological children have been killed or there has been um, sexual assault. There has been um, false allegations of sexual assault to the rad child or the rad child is assaulting or attempting to assault sexually violently their biological children. These children try to literally split up families. They try to 
and they don't even know in the beginning that that's, that that's what they are doing, that they have an agenda. They don't even know themselves that they are basically grooming the father to feel contempt for the mother. And it starts young. It starts so young. And that innocence bias, you know, my wife coined that term as far as I know. Um, we would sit down and we would hash these issues out and we would say to each other, like, you know, just debating all the things that are going on in the community. And one day she just, she used that term and it was, it was like a light bulb went off because that's exactly what it is. You know, these children, no matter what behaviors you hear about them committing, you know, these terrible acts, right? They're still children. And children are not capable of these malice, the malice and the vindictive um, calculating acts of horror that you hear. They, it must be an exaggeration. Like, <clears throat> for example, my kid, she was staying with her father, who wasn't doing so well at the time. <clears throat> he was staying with the family and so she spent a lot of time with his family it was summertime and one of the feral cats outside had kittens and these kittens supposedly had some issues with their legs that she at 12 determined it would it was going to kill them whatever this issue was so this feral outside cat in the middle of the summer has kittens. They are not doing so well. And she determines that she needs to cut their legs off to save them. So she sawed their legs off with a steak knife. Tried to bandage it up, etc. And she felt nothing about that. It wasn't hard for her. She wasn't disturbed by it. Because in her mind, she determined that she wanted them to live, and that's what, that's what it took. She didn't consult anyone. She didn't have any undue emotion, obviously. She just did what she did, and that was that. So, when I tell you that there are horrifying things happening in these houses that were perfectly normal, functioning, um, happy, healthy homes... There are things happening in these houses that would make you piss your pants. Like when you're looking to see if your son is obeying his restriction and not playing Xbox. But what you find is your son having intercourse with your 11-year-old dog. Full penetration. And then you find out it wasn't the first time. That is an experience that you cannot, even if you can forgive it, you cannot just wave off this mother's feeling of fear and, and distrust and alienation when all the other little Johnnies at the school bus stop 
are talking about video games and Minecraft and watching YouTube when other people are, you know, watching other kids play video games on YouTube. And your son is having sex with a family dog. I can, I can only hope that you can really take a, a moment to really internalize what I'm saying. And this is on top of an 11-year-old, your 11-year-old son who's, let's just say, in this case, 13-year-old son, who is now, um, not only does he constantly get in trouble for finding ways to watch porn on his five-year-old sister's iPad or on dad's work computer or whatever, he's obsessed with it at this point now that he knows it exists, he also pisses in his closet corner. He pulls his penis out every day, multiple times a day when he has to be, passes the bathroom in the hallway. He passes your, ba- your bedroom, which has a bathroom in the master, to go into his room, to go into his closet, to pull his penis out, and to pee on your hardwood floors. And he sometimes also defecates there, depending on his mood. And he's done it so many times that you've already replaced the, the, pan, the, the, the pieces of wood in the, in the closet three times since you've had custody of this child. Three times. Or when your child tells you when you're at your best friend's house and she brings pajamas that are so inappropriate for her, pubes- her now pubescent body, you didn't realize, you slipped and didn't check the bag. So now she has on almost sheer booty shorts for pajamas and you tell her to wear something else from her friend's closet, your, your best friend's daughter, or you tell her to stay in the bedroom until it's time to get up the next day. And she intentionally finds three reasons to come out in those shorts and walk past your best friend's husband while looking back at him over her shoulder when she's 13 years old. Then she later admits to you that she likes all the attention she can get from any man. When she walks into Walmart, she pulls her hair out of her bun and she starts swaying her hips back and forth so that every boy or man that she comes into contact with in that store will know exactly what she will look at her in a very specific way and she'll know exactly what it means because she's orchestrating the whole event. And she admits that to me. Okay, so these are not things that while they may sound like they're coming from the mouth of a scorned and jealous stay-at-home stepmom or a foster parent that's, you know, worn out their welcome in the system, that is not the case. These are real scenarios, real everyday hells. And they, these children go to school. Many of them are homeschooled because of the, the risk, the fighting, the complete shenanigans that is required to get them through a lesson plan. But when they do go to these schools, when they are still in a traditional school setting, they do things like throw their tennis shoes away and go to the guidance counselor office with tears in their eyes about how they're tired of coming to school without shoes on, even though it's 100% untrue. And they orchestrate these long, drawn-out storylines with 
the triangulated person, which is most likely you, whoever's listening here, you are being groomed, <clears throat> most likely, to be the savior in the triangulation pattern. Because there's always three characters playing at all times with a rat child. There is a savior, that's a new person, that's the you, that's the <coughs> Sunday school teacher, that is the guidance counselor, it's your dad, it's the dad's new girlfriend's parents, it's whoever, whoever can be manipulated, whoever can change the course of current with judgment, shame, opinion, action. So you're the savior. She or he is the victim and the caregiving parent that has been in play is the villain every time. And it's easier for you to believe that your person, your family member, your, your brother's wife, your whoever it is, you know, Miss Angela from church that you've known for 10 years, it's easier for you to believe this wounded victim of a child, to believe the lies that she tells about how she's treated or the positioning in which she tells you stories and how horrified you are at how she's treated every day. It's easier for you to take this person that you've known for 10, 15, 20 years, your whole life, and see them also as the villain than it is to believe that a 15-year-old little girl who looks so innocent, and every time she's, she's with you, she's just perfect. It's easier to believe that the adult is actually the problem. It's easier to curate a narrative in your mind that does not blame this child who already has such a stack of unfortunate, unfortunate events unfortunate circumstances on its on its calendar of anniversaries you know it's so much easier for us to hate other women and say oh are you jealous of your husband's relationship with his daughter is that the problem because we are just it's ingrained in us to feel envy and show it and hatred to feel um you know, inferior to women that are successful, whether it's maternally or academically, financially. It's ingrained in us to question and doubt other women and to not be a woman's woman or a girl's girl. But it is not ingrained in us to automatically look at a child and see adult um, psychiatric and psychological components that cause us fear trepidation they cause us to take a step back instead of lunge forward and they're designed that way I mean it's evolutionary biology you know we see a child in need that's hurting we automatically start to release hormones and chemicals that tell us to step in and mend the wound but you're not helping anyone by placating the demise of a family because that's what's happening divorce is on is on the docket now we've got a wedge driven so deeply between this husband and wife they barely know each other 
we've got a wedge driven so deeply between biological child and parent, biological child and other parent, biological child and half-sister or brother. Grandparents are involved. You know, sometimes biological moms, you know, mom shows up with presents for the rad child and not the biological children. Actually, she's not really interested at all in those kids because they have nothing to do with her. And the kids just start to feel um, they're, they're victims of this life. And whether we like it or not, we put them in that position. So we have all this guilt and all this shame. We tell stories, vent, and ask for support. And we're met with judgment and ridicule, criticism that is unnecessary, disbelief, invalidation. And instead of just hearing what this woman is telling you and really listening to her with, with your heart and your mind and not your bias, listening to her with love and compassion because you know who she really is. You know what her intentions were when she started this journey. You determine somehow that she's now a psycho that is unnecessarily, ruth, ruthfully, or ruthlessly at times. Sorry, I just walked in and my dogs are going nuts. So I'm trying to get them to be quiet. Um, ruthless, even, with her punishments. Um, she is cold, you feel. You've decided that she's just not... She's not really cut out to be a stepmom, a foster mom, adoptive mom, whatever the case may be. You start talking to her husband, who's your brother-in-law or your, your husband's best friend or whatever dynamic it is. You start talking to him and you guys are now sharing in your concern about his wife. And you're now validating his, his thoughts that she's being dramatic and it's not possible that these things are happening while he's at work. And what happens is the child becomes the one in control. This nurturing enemy mother no longer has um, a relationship with her husband, her children, her community, her church, her own family, with you. This child has managed to not bond with her, of course, which would be the healthiest thing. It's also the most difficult. There's no bonding that's occurring. There's just grooming for victimhood that is being placated by all these outsiders. And you guys don't realize it. You don't. But I'm here to tell you that's exactly what you're doing. You're perpetuating a very bad situation and you're making it much worse. So next time you hear a story about what you believe to be the redheaded stepchild, foster child, adopted child, teenager, and you hear something that sounds so outlandish that you're almost disgusted. Or you say, you know, you, you just need to focus on the positive. You just need to give them love. The more love you show them, the better it'll be. Please understand you're speaking from a place that is so unqualified. It would be like asking you for your opinion about presidential top-level security issues. It's just things that aren't in your realm of expertise. And while you may be a wonderful mother... You may be a wonderful father, a grandmother, an aunt. You may have been a saint. You know, you may be a fucking astronaut of children flying them to the moon of loving mothers. You are not the expert on this woman's child. 
her children, her family. You are not the expert on reactive attachment disorders. You're not even a bystander with a little bit too much information. You have none. You have none. You could read every article from the Center for Attachment. You could read every parenting blog that discusses it in a Google search. And until you have lived it, until you have woken up in your own home that you worked hard to pay for, to build, to furnish, to decorate, to give love in, and you feel afraid, you feel like you're living under the same roof as the enemy because there is a child who has turned everyone in your life against you, refuses to to take part in any of your vast and many variety, plethora of advances for bonding, all the times that you tried to create a moment between the two of you has been completely demolished, manipulated, used against you for years on end. Every meal you cook is scoffed at. Every time you ask the child to do something, it doesn't happen. Every time you go in this child's room, you find filthy clothes, dishes, broken evidence of broken rules. You're fighting for hygiene. You're fighting for sanity, for manners, for respect, for growth, for accountability. And every day, everyone in your life tells you that you have lost and she or he has won. And the more you talk about it, the worse you look. It's like being wrongfully accused and imprisoned. And maybe it sounds extreme as I outline these things for you. Maybe you feel like I'm being dramatic or like I'm exaggerating to try to prove a point. But (laughs) I'm not. The system is one that is designed to move children into placement. Okay? The resources you're given... The, the caseworkers that have worked with your child that you're going to receive this gift of life that you're going to bring into your home. They've been told lies. <clears throat> Reactive attachment disorder is rare. It's very rare. Super uncommon. Never see it, really. Even though we know that this country is suffering, and so are many others, from an opioid epidemic that is knocking out thousands, tens of thousands of people every single year, we, I think we lost 70-something thousand people last year, I want to say. I should really have that <clears throat> statistic known, but you're telling me that we lose 70,000 parents, childbearing-aged people, overdose and die, and they're not leaving behind babies to be raised by family members or foster care. They're not leaving behind predisposition. They're not leaving behind a pregnancy that was riddled with drugs and high cortisol. No affection for the pregnancy by a mom that would soon face her own fate. That is a trauma that is so deeply ingrained in these children. It is so common and it is so deep and it is so complex. When a mother dies in childbirth and a dad still has to support the family, grandma and aunts, girlfriends, they may step in, but that bond, and if you're such a good mom yourself or such a good dad yourself, you know, 
that bond between the biological, your, your, your genetics coming into the flesh in the form of your own child with the person you love in front of you is nothing like choosing a child, loving that child and doing the best you can for that child and they don't have that. That thing that you have, most of you, many of you have with your own children, that bond, and I know it so well because I had it so deeply with my own mom. So deeply that when she passed away, I could literally physically feel her absence in the universe. I could feel it in my, like a physical feeling. Biology, being a biological parent to these children, it changes things when they're involved, when they're there, when they're trying to build bonds. These kids will always and forever want them. They'll always ask, they'll always forgive. They will always make up fantasies about how they're being treated by this person, their mom, mostly. When you tell them that their mom can come for Christmas and mom doesn't show up, they blame you because they can't blame themselves. And it's an ongoing cycle that is so deeply tragic and traumatic You can't possibly understand from having this child in your home without its parents a couple of times and seeing its behavior when it is purposefully showing you that character. You cannot tell this mother, this woman who is broken by this disorder every day, dealing with things that are unfathomable to most, that you know more about parenting because you did a good job with your biological children It is not the same. Your job is to love and support and care and listen to what she says to you. There are hundreds and hundreds, thousands even, of women out in the world going through this exact moment. Fathers as well. Families. Broken. Divorce. Suicide. Sexual assault. Physical assault. Bestiality among false allegations that lead to arrests and jail time that lead to biological children, infants being taken from these mothers because of the stories Rad tells at school. At some point in time, we have to take a step back from that innocence bias and allow the adult that we trusted to raise this child, to place this child with this adult. We, we felt as a society that she was a good fit. This family was a good fit. She was capable of raising this child. And now you cannot give her the benefit of the doubt when she's telling you the things that are happening in her home. You cannot make a choice to operate against your bias for your best friend, your sister, your aunt, your goddaughter, your neighbor. Miss Angie that you've known for 10 years from church or whoever. You have to be cognizant of your bias and and see this child in the behaviors and participate in a healthy way for both the family and the child and the children. Otherwise, you're part of the problem. A very, very, very big problem that is designed to keep blinders on Get children placed and keep the system moving. And if you want to be part of that, you might as well have left your own child in the hospital and and neglected and abandoned it 
you're causing as much damage by being part of this problem that is earth earth shattering it is huge every time you co-sign any of the bullshit and you don't allow yourself to rely on your own trust and belief in the adult in the situation and to hear and assess what's going on with intellect and discernment you are contributing 100% to children that become adults that are extremely dangerous you're contributing 100% to homes that become broken divorces that should have never happened you are part of the problem then if you cannot do that so I urge you discernment and intellect when being aware <clears throat> is all you can do when you can only show up and be aware of your bias and listen that is the best gift you could give to the caregiver of a child with reactive attachment disorder and if you need to argue it with someone who's ready to argue you can come to this podcast you can come to any of our platforms reactive attachments just at reactive attachments if you want to email us it's reactive attachments at gmail.com you can find us on facebook instagram um, you can respond on anchor with a voice message and um, if you need i'll give you my direct cell phone number and we can talk about it all day but you give her a break and you show support for this woman that is going through something that is very difficult most people will never experience the life cycle of wanting to adopt or foster saying yes to a child that needed something extra that you thought you could provide destroying your own family tearing down your own children inadvertently being raked over the coals and then questioning if you even want to continue caring for this child and what the implications of that choice will be the last thing you could really imagine, I'm sure, is losing your best friend, losing your relationship with your aunt, your mom, your mother-in-law, your sister-in-law, your best friend as a dad, like, you know, losing your homeboy, losing your nephew because he doesn't agree, or your father. You can't imagine what these families have really, truly felt and experienced, the shame, the the depth of that shame and guilt. So I urge you to just please be an adult that is intelligent, discerning, and compassionate, not one that is driven by instinct because it's not working for us in this scenario. If you have questions, again, at Reactive Attachments, I'm Taylor, and I, I hope this helped you. I hope this took the pressure off of that caregiver who really needs a break.